You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7, and I'm joined for the first of our two crossover podcast episodes. We've got Bo Brock here from the Locked on Cards podcast. Uh, we love being able to talk and kind of crossover. We've got Another podcast coming out tomorrow with um, Johnny's going to be on Locked on Cards with uh, the wonderful Alex Clancy. Uh, maybe you might not think that he's as wonderful, Bo, but we certainly <laughs> love you guys. And it's great to have you on to get some of the takes. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say, we talked a bit about the 2020 cards, how that finished. What was some of your thoughts, at least, just to recap some of what our takeaway was from a roundtable? Yeah, they made uh, obviously strides from 2019 to 2020. We saw what we wanted from Kyler Murray. He just kind of reinforced what we thought. He's a franchise quarterback. He even tapped into some of the projections like, hey, can this guy be a second-year MVP like Mahomes, Jackson, or are those expectations too high? And he showed us early on that, no, they're not. He can play it at that level. He can live in that space. But then things kind of fell short at the end of the season. And I feel like the organization – it might benefit them down the and down the road because it showed some glaring holes, uh, but they missed that on a tremendous opportunity against a pair of backup quarterbacks. You know, and C.J. Beathard, a guy who was one and nine for the Niners, uh, he started and beat the Cardinals at home in Week 16, and then Week 17, a guy who starred, should I say, for the Arizona Hot Shots and John Wolford, he got the job done. More so, that Rams defense got the job done against the Arizona Cardinals and now we sit here and we're just kind of picking up the pieces trying to figure out you know what can they do to get over the hump because this is just such a key offseason I know you guys talked about it because we talked about it in a round table on Friday that you know it's it's easy to go from three wins to five wins it's easy to go from five wins to eight wins but now getting over that hump it's going to be this is a crucial offseason for the Cardinals and Steve Kime. Absolutely. And I think part of what we've learned also from this 2020 season is how Kime's best trait is really in his trades. We've gotten to see how he was able to acquire you know, the likes of Carson Palmer on the cheap. We saw him be able to make trades for Chandler Jones and DeAndre Hopkins, even getting off of that second round pick. Uh, or I should say, so we get off of David Johnson's contract. Um, with the cost of that second round pick, we've seen enough, at least, I think, that a lot of fans can have confidence in Kyler Murray moving forward. We've seen confidence that he can get the ball to DeAndre Hopkins playing at a high level. I think that we even saw that there's a good argument that Vance Joseph is a guy who can fit and can be a great impact guy in his defensive scheme and being able to bring a pass rush, be able to have solid enough coverage at least, even with Patrick Peterson playing above average and Drake Kirkpatrick off the street. But there's still a lot of questions at pretty much all of the other areas, Bo. And I think that was the biggest thing that came up was, is there enough holes on this Cardinals team? I, I use the metaphor of, you know, can you take this kind of swish cheese that's got all these holes in it and be able to patch it over and make it into kind of a nice, solid Gouda? And there was a lot of doubt, I think, that was in Steve Kime and his ability to do that. And that was, I think, an interesting takeaway because that's going to have an effect on the Cardinals for not just Kyler Murray's future, future with the team but for a lot of the other star players on the team as well yeah I mean it's the direction in the in the path that the Cardinals need to take is finding as far as finding success in the offseason I posed the question earlier 
uh, before we even you know linked up for our crossover. It's like how how do you want Steve Kime to where do you want him to be aggressive in the offseason? You want to be aggressive in the draft and trading up, or just taking you know blue chip prospects, or do you want him to be aggressive in free agency with the talented crop of uh, wide receivers, including like Juju Smith Schuster and Kenny Galladay and Chris Godwin, and you've got uh, some talented defensive backs like. Where can where has he found success? And and you guys, it was very eye opening. But it makes sense that he has. You know, think back to his resume of trades that he's made, and very rarely do you find Steve Kime on the wrong end of a trade. He's had success there. So I'm wondering, you know, is that the best path? Best path to find more talent and infuse this roster even more so with uh, with guys that are going to make an impact. It's it's an interesting debate. Uh, you know, traditionally you would, or I think more traditional football thinkers would want, okay, you, you build through the draft, right? You, you hit on your first round picks, but we just haven't seen that success from Steve Kime. So it might be just more, he might be more inclined to pull off another deal like he did last year. Now, can he find the DeAndre Hopkins counterpart in 2021 that he found in 2020? That That's a, that's the big question, right? That's the that's the million dollar question. I, I don't know. I, I don't have, I'm skeptical but you know that might be where where the Cardinals improve this roster, not your traditional ways, free agency in the draft, but the trades. Yeah, and we've even seen the Los Angeles Rams take that path. You look at why the Rams went from being a team that was um, basically lowered than expectations in 2019, came back in 2020, and finished with the number one defense. And it was impressive enough that their defensive coordinator, despite one year at the position, gets promoted to a Chargers head coach job. And a lot of that, I think, is a direct reflection of the fact that he had Jalen Ramsey added to work with Aaron Donald. And Ramsey gave them the capability to take away a team's number one threat. We didn't even see DeAndre Hopkins be the normal D-hop that we're used to in Arizona. Some of it was, I think, on Kyler Murray being a young guy, and some of it is on Ramsey being a high-level corner, playing the position, forcing Arizona to have to use their other options on offense. And we saw the Cardinals struggle both times, um, made a little bit of a comeback in their first game, but at that point, it was just so far behind the eight ball from that first half. And really, Bo, what we talk about each year is it always comes down to can you win in your division? Because if the Cardinals go 3-3 three and three in their division this year, they're a playoff team. Like, that is an absolute fact if they had won one more game this year. And I think that then has led a lot of people to question, you know, how much of this is on Kyler Murray? Is it a case of where you've got the leadership at the position? You have the talent. Is there questions that some have had? about him being able to mature and grow up is something I think has been an off-season narrative, but even bigger has been the question of, is Cliff Kingsbury the right guy from both a mental standpoint, from scheme, and especially even from a leadership standpoint, to be able to take the Cardinals to that next level against the likes of, you know, McVay being kind of the hottest NFL head coach name, is people who just like sing his praises. We've seen him be able to make adjustments. And then Pete Carroll up in Seattle, who has done the unthinkable and managed to win almost 10 games per year for almost the past decade with Russell Wilson. What is kind of the philosophy or what are we thinking about with Cliff Kingsbury and his situation with the team? And some of this more of a reflection on Steve Kime putting him in a situation where he could be the best leader in the world and he hasn't been quite given the talent overall to be able to succeed. I think it's fair to say that the jury is still out on Cliff Kingsbury, which you wouldn't really assume going into his third season. But as far as 
is, can he be an NFL caliber head coach? Now he's out of excuses. No longer is he taking a team that won three wins the previous year, a very you know one of the more depleted rosters of the decade, and it was easy to kind of infuse that roster with with talent because there wasn't any previous to uh, Cliff Kingsbury coming in in the Steve Wilkes, Mike McCoy era. But, you know, the jury's still out, and Cliff Kingsbury has the task now to prove himself, and he's got to do that. Now, whether or not he can actually do enough to make the fan base believe that he's the guy that can can do it, uh, I, I you know, I, I'm still skeptical. But you also have to think about, like, when, you know, in recent history has a head coach – you know, finished 500 or below in his first two seasons and then truly captured success. Kyle Shanahan, I can think of within the division um, with the Niners. But, you know, as far as the Rams and the Seahawks, they were pretty much successes right out of the gates under their current head coaches. And you look across the league and there's just – there aren't guys that kind of just keep their head above water and then just pop. It, it just very rarely happens. Um, and we talked about it in our crossovers, like – does Cliff Kingsbury have one? Are people jealous of Cliff Kingsbury even getting the opportunity despite failing and not paying his dues at the NFL level and failing at the college level? And then two, like the, you know, who are his connections in the league to maybe help him when he's struggling? Uh, and we've seen him struggling as far as game flow and, and getting uh, his offense and rhythm. And also, he's struggled sometimes as far as use of timeouts or going for it on fourth and goal. Or it's just. He's got to change the narrative surrounding him from the the fan base's perspective that he is a head coach. Now, I you know, I don't know if he's he's capable of doing that, but this is going to be a prove it year for the Cardinals after kind of having a couple years where there weren't any high expectations. It's just let's figure out, you know, if Kyler Murray's a franchise caliber quarterback, is Cliff, can Cliff Kingsbury coach him up and he's he's shown, you know, enough success to earn himself a third year. So I, you know, it's it's gonna have to play out for us to really make a definitive answer on that. And if it's if you're still answer, you're asking the same questions after year three, I think that also answers it. It's just like it's time to move on, maybe to somebody else. Yeah, and but one of the things that I always talk about is the NFL is a league that's all about winning. And a lot of the conversations, if you told Cardinals fans in 2018, said, hey, in two years, you'll have a quarterback who makes the Pro Bowl. You'll have a all-pro wide receiver. You'll have a defense that turns it around from what you're looking at, and your team goes 8-8. Eight and eight. Hey, most Cardinals fans would have taken that in a heartbeat. And the fact that we're looking at this team and critiquing it, I think in a lot of ways is because a lot of it is that they're – the success the Cardinals have had, there are definitely systemic issues beneath the surface as far as there's still questions about if Vance Joseph's scheme is allowing, you know, too many yards and not enough takeaways. Cardinals have not been able to really force turnovers unless they're sacking the quarterback. We saw basically two interceptions from Buda Baker this season, and there weren't really any others that were of note for the most part. Maybe one or two that Patrick Peterson got his hands on playing for more of a safety role even than as a corner. And looking at how the Cardinals went out and started the year, felt like that they were a team at, you know, at 5-2, and two, was on fire. The schedule was going to get tougher, but there still was enough for the Cardinals to be able to finish at 9 or 10 wins. And we saw, ultimately, the team just seemed to kind of not fall through. When they needed two yards, they would get one. They needed a kick, they wouldn't get it. And when they needed a chance to be able to, you know, properly manage the clock, you would see issues that popped up. So... When it comes down to the NFL, 
And this is kind of the sad thing. If you're a team that wins, everything seems fine. You know, you kind of gloss over those issues. When you're losing or when you're not getting to the playoffs, everything kind of ends up being on the table. And that's part of where I think the Cardinals, unfortunately, we're talking about a team that, you know, maybe you look back in two years like, wow, can't believe the Cardinals went and, you know, overpaid for a new head coach and got this formerly failed GM and suddenly Kyler Murray wants out after two, six, and ten years and you're longing for the old days. That's one of the cases of recognizing, you know, how good you can sometimes have it in a way of where the Cardinals were. But that's never the goal. The goal is not to be a team that gets to 8-8 eight eight every year in the NFL. The goal is not even to be a team like Seattle that goes out and has 10 wins every year. It's about being able to put together championship rosters where one fan base stands above all the others in the NFL for a season. And that, I think, is the question that a lot of people are looking at is, do the Cardinals have a championship caliber coach, a championship caliber GM in place. I think we've seen enough to make the argument that, yeah, I mean, guys like Joe Flacco and guys like, uh, I think even look at a few years ago with um, Nick Foles getting there with a talented team around him. You've definitely got a quarterback who can win a Super Bowl in Kyler Murray. Do you you have an organization around that can win it? Because you're going to probably be having to pay him a lot of money and, in this new NBA, we've talked a bit about Deshaun Watson leaving the team. We've talked about how competitive the NFC West is. Do you have those guys in place who can win that? And our kind of takeaway was, right now, we don't think so. So, Cliff, Kime, go out and prove us wrong. Yeah, and I, and I understand those who are skeptical of whether or not they, they're capable of doing that. And sometimes it might not it might not be Kime, and it might be Kime and a different head coach, or it might be Cliff and a different GM, or it could be both are out the door and it's Kyler and whatever GM head coach duo is brought in to, to maybe pick up the pieces. And it, they could be very close. I think anytime you have a Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, you, you're, you've already got a pretty good – uh, you know, you've got a couple bones in, in place as far as the, the structure goes uh, to build off of. But, you know, as far as do they have enough right now, the answer is no. Is Cliff Kingsbury the guy capable of doing it? The answer is no. Is Steve Kime the guy capable of doing it? No. When we talk about have and have nots, Cardinals are right now part of the have nots. But we've seen in Tampa Bay that that can change on a dime. When you have a have-not general manager and Jason Like, who had basically the same amount of success as a guy he worked underneath for a little bit in Steve Kime in, in Arizona before taking mm-hmm. the GM job in, in Tampa, you know, there's a lot of luck that goes into it, the, the putting your, but also being in a position to go out and get, it's not Tom Brady, but maybe go out and get the top wide receiver that's available and wanting to come play with Kyler Murray. Uh, it, it's mm. just... You know, better lucky than good sometimes, but I think you know they're not far off. But they also feel it feels like they're light years away, if that makes any sense. But I, I would say, as of right yeah. now, this is such a crucial offseason to prove to, for these, especially Cliff and, and Kime, to prove a lot of people wrong. And it's that last year I thought the Cardinals did a good job in changing, debunking some of the narratives that surround this team, even with Week One, the win against San Francisco. They beat Jimmy G and, and Kyle Shanahan, the trendy team in the NFL. Everybody expected San Francisco to be the team to beat in the NFC West. And game one, the Cardinals kind of punched them in the mouth. You know, they uh, they got a win against uh, Seattle, who was undefeated at the point at that point. You know, they beat the the Buffalo Bills with the Hale Murray. There were some signature moments throughout last season that had that maybe instilled some belief that wasn't necessarily there. 
but now there still remains the narratives that that are you know negative stigmas around this franchise about Steve Kine's inability to find players in the draft, the team's inability to beat Sean McVay, which they've never done. What are they zero and eight against McVay? Those are the next. Yeah. Those are part of the next hurdles that they have to jump over in order to become a team, a team that that gets to where they the fan base and and they want to go, and that's competing in the playoffs and contending for a Super Bowl. And uh, like I said, seems really far fetched right now, but it's it's closer, mm-hmm. way close, light years ahead of where they were even just a few seasons ago. Sure. Yeah, and like you said, luck sometimes does come into it. Like we keep forgetting that Jason Light a few years ago was the guy who was drafting a kicker <laughs> yeah. in the second round, who went on to be one of the worst kickers in NFL history, essentially. And so it's like, okay, but he went back, adjusted, did some self scouting, and you look at what he did in terms of saying, all right, here's the identity we can pursue. Bringing in a guy like Bruce Arians at cost, knowing it's going to be a heavy veteran team. We've got talented picks that we have as far as. Being able to have, like, you know, we talked about they already had Mike Evans. They brought in Chris Godwin. They had some talent on the offensive line with Ali Marpet. They even had at least a couple of defensive playmakers. What they did with Arians was they had an identity of, we're going to go all in to try to win a championship in the next year or two. Drafted a ton of players in the secondary. And a lot of those guys were well-developed and worked well under Todd Bowles. Then they go out this year, add Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield Jr. And suddenly you kind of have the missing piece once Tom Brady arrives in being able to have a championship caliber roster. And that's a lot of that is the Bruce Arians identity and a lot of things we saw with B.A. that he did back when he was in Arizona. What I think we have with Kime is they're trying to build this young team with this kind of young coaching staff. While simultaneously you're saying, wait a minute, how, why are they building a, a young team? And yet they went into this with... Patrick Peterson near 30, Chandler Jones at 30, an older running back that they'd paid in David Johnson. And entering out of 2019, you're just like, they had uh, even Larry Fitzgerald we have to talk about is continuing on with the team. They never really, I think, fully went into this whole young movement. And I think a lot of that comes down to when you're talking about a team and an identity, you can question, is Steve Kime a guy who can build through the draft and draft picks to be able to make that work? Because, hey, if he can't, we saw the Rams trade a lot of picks for veteran players, and they've been able to at least be consistent in adding talent. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for this offseason, Bo, and we can pivot now to talking about what is kind of the biggest gaping holes that we have for the Cardinals? What do we expect them to address first? I kind of want to move a little bit of a different direction from what we saw with uh, a roundtable. We know every single year there's always teams that will sign free agents, either at a spot or a position, that will bust out. <laughs> like They will just not be good. Easiest example you can think of is you know the Cardinals went and signed Andre Smith, paid him $12 million to be their tackle in 2018. Follow that up in 2019, you got Terrell Suggs being that type of a guy. Who do you think or what position do you think is going to be that temptation for the Cardinals that either they should avoid or one that, hey, they're probably going to make that type of mistake anyway? Maybe that mistake is holding on to a player that they shouldn't. And if that's the case, is that kind of a thing you see with Patrick Peterson as a free agent? What would be kind of your hot take on what would be a mistake that the Cardinals could make that you don't want them to go down that road? Yeah, I mean, how how much time do we have? It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, Patrick Peterson is one of those right. guys. Like, they they need to invest in that position beyond P two. If even if they bring him back, 
So, yeah, if you're going to sign him up for a ton of guaranteed dollars, if he's even going to get a, a deal like Logan Ryan did, which I think was like three for 30 with 20 million guaranteed after he played so well for the New York Giants, a guy that was available after Tennessee released him before the start of the season, you know, uh, I think that'd be a mistake. I think that would absolutely be a mistake, even though Patrick Peterson has been their most reliable corner. I think that's kind of become. It was default. It was even a crutch. It's like what Larry Fitzgerald was kind of creating for them, and this is no fault of Larry's, right? He created a crutch for this organization to not have a fire to go out and get a wide receiver to complement Larry or develop one. Same thing goes for the cornerback position. Those have been two positions outside of, you know, before, uh, really during the Kime era, I guess. They had some success getting a guy like John Brown, here and there, but they've really struggled f- trying to find those those other wide receivers. But that that cornerback spot is something that I wish I hope that the Arizona Cardinals, if if thing if the reports if there's any validity to reports that things have deteriorated and there's really no talks between Patrick Peterson and they're going to mutually part ways, then I hope that that's their decision and they're like, okay, we're going to target this guy, uh, you know, whether it's Shaq Griffin or you know who who's some other available DBs. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a big You've got other guys like um, Richard Sherman's the biggest name after Patrick Peterson, but his age is, you know, he's older than he's Peterson. He's older. He's coming off a he got had, injured a lot last year. Yeah. William Jackson the third is another kind of like, he's probably like about 27. Yeah, he's Desmond probably King. probably very close to that. A little bit of a younger version of Drake Kirkpatrick a bit more. Sure. You talk about like, yeah, with King. Jason Verrett would be kind of like your, hey, like, is this guy going to be healthy enough? Try to see if you can get on a one-year deal. Right. There's, there's options that you'll be able to bring in. Obviously, we're assuming the Cardinals are going to uh, move off of the corner that they signed a few years ago they thought was going to be able to address all of this at least and they really did never actually get to see unfortunately him play I think it was um oh was Desmond Trufant was the one the other was remind me Bo of the uh, he hasn't even played so that's why I'm trying, Robert not Alford? even remembering the Cardinals Alford yeah. yes obviously yeah, yeah. yeah coming over yeah, from Atlanta and he wasn't even that good for Atlanta yeah. I mean Atlanta released Robert no, Alford he wasn't so- it's like we're sitting here and we're waiting for this guy to even dress for the Cardinals and play, and it's just like you're going to be very disappointed once you kind of see what a guy who's aged at at this point now two more years, like move off, move away from Alford, move away from P2, and maybe start to find what the future of that position looks like for the Arizona Cardinals because they had success in finding the future of the safety position with Buda Baker after moving on from Tyron Matthew. And it, like it, 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 the Cardinals don't just die after they release. Like Patrick Peterson's career ends, at least here in the desert. Like, it, it, I think it would be a very um, liberating move for the Cardinals to potentially move off of P two. So if that's you know the hot take, I, I think that's the one that I'll go with. It's just like the 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 Cardinals and it, they've got to not only sink free agent dollars in a corner, but also sink draft capital in that position. Because it's it's a need. It's a definite need. It wouldn't immediately become a strength, but I think it'd be a, a start to putting this team in a position to combat, you know, where the rest of the division's strengths are, and that's and that's the opposing passing attacks for at least LA, that's for sure, and Seattle. Sure. Yeah, and one of the things we've seen with the Cardinals also, we talked about this 
they struggle a lot of times to be able to bring in guys who can replace outgoing either legends or impact players. That's been one of the things that's gotten them into trouble. You look at how they let Calais Campbell walk. Now, he obviously excelled in a 4-3. Cardinals ran a 3-4 for the most part, but you didn't see Kimdichi really do anything on the field for the most part. He was released in 2019. You look at after they lost Washington, Buchanan, even Carlos Dansby, Reddick was just not a guy who was really able to step up at the inside linebacker position. They go out and bring in the likes of Isaiah Simmons, hoping that will be the case. Reddick ends up ironically taking over for the likes of Chandler Jones. Even look at how Larry Fitzgerald and even when you talk about some of the other players on the team, you look even at how they only just got DeAndre Hopkins for him when there was pretty much you know, no other wide receiver that you could get at the free agent market. Amari Cooper went for some $20 million. What I think we see with the Cardinals is they have to be aware of knowing when to cut their losses. And I think, you know, they got lucky when Houston was more than willing to accept David Johnson in that contract because he looked like he was probably done in 2019. And he followed that up with a 2020 campaign that, outside of Game 1, did very little to dissuade anyone from thinking that the Cardinals were the obvious winners of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So being aware of when it's time to be, move off of your stars, be able to bring in fresh, young talent, and knowing who your core players are that you need to keep and retain, that's, I think, something that we haven't seen under the Cardinals. We've started to see some shades of it, but it always seems to be maybe a year too late. Uh, let's shift and talk a little bit about with the draft process because when it comes to free agency, I think we're we're kind of seeing the same type of needs that the Cardinals have. You probably need to get something better on offense. We talked a bit about how the defensive line was truly lacking playmakers. We talked about how the uh, the linebacker and cornerback spot you got to improve somehow. And the interesting one, at least, is wide receiver. We didn't get a chance to talk as much about it in our show, so taking a look at some of those top wide receivers, if Steve Kime has struck out pretty much on every single wide receiver he has drafted since Larry Fitzgerald, that even includes John Brown, who even though he's gone on to be successful elsewhere, you could kind of tell it wasn't going to be with the cards. You've got a lot of big-name free agents this year, who are hitting the free agent market, who are going to get paid quite a bit, even amidst a pan coming off of this pandemic. Should the Cardinals kind of go this type of a route and add maybe try to pay all in for the likes of a Corey Davis, for a Will Fuller, a Curtis Samuel? You've even got guys like a young Juju Smith-Schuster, um, an older guy like T.Y. Hilton's going to be out there. Even an A.J. Green's probably going to be departing from the Bengals for the most part. Is this a spot where the Cardinals, as it didn't even mention Kenny Galladay, should the Cardinals go and essentially say, we need to just get proven weapons for Kyler, sign that in free agency, and then try to find some other way knowing that we need to be able to probably look at a lot of the other drafts and say, if we can get wide receiver locked up at that number two spot, the offense should be good enough we can now invest wherever. Or is that going to be putting like way too many eggs into one basket? Is you know we, We've talked a lot about how teams will make a mistake and strike out on a guy, and if these guys are free agents, usually it's always for some sort of reason. Either they're going to be out the wazoo as far as cost, or someone just is not wanting to retain them. What are your thoughts on the free agent wide receiver crop, Bo? Yeah, it's a it's a talented pool, and it's a it's a place where you can find an instant upgrade of a proven commodity, uh, more so than others. I think the Corey Davis is a guy that they've been waiting in Tennessee to pop for a while. They even they went Jalen or AJ Brown over him, and he emerged as the number one guy, even though Corey had. 
a couple games sprinkled in there. He, he's a big guy, big-bodied wide receiver, athletic. You know, you, you look at the the top of this, the 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 cream of the crop here, the the Godwins, the Galladays, who I don't think is going to exit Detroit. Sounds like that they're going to go and do everything in their power to keep him. But the one guy that does keep on intriguing me is, is Juju, and that's his ability to run all the routes. He's a guy that's played the slot for the most part the last couple seasons for Pittsburgh, and he also has played with a very talented crop of wide receivers his entire career. So he has no problem being not being you know the marquee name or the top marquee name. Uh, he, he's played in, in a talented cr- wide receiver core his entire career in Pittsburgh. So I, I, I like Juju. I just don't know if they're going to have enough – cap space to make it work um but it, just when, when you saw the trade of deandre for deandre hopkins how it just changed the perspective of everything if you went in if you went out and got oh, any yeah. of those guys it just completely changes the, the perspective of the cardinals and the nfc west like if you pit, if you couple deandre hopkins with anybody that immediately jumps you over seattle and la and san francisco as far as the perceived best wide receiver duo in the division and I think that does something that does something as far as free agents like oh if you're trying to attract a corner to come back and it's not the premier corner but it's a guy that's got to decide hey am I going to go play for the Rams the Seahawks or the Dallas Cowboys or anybody or am I going to play with the Cardinals who have really something going on offense they've got Kyler they've got no Hopkins they've got Juju Smith-Schuster in that pass game I think that that goes a long way because right now you know, you've got your two bargaining chips. You've got playing with Kyler and you've got playing with DeAndre Hopkins. So they've got to figure out, you know, who's going to be part of the Cardinals' big three going forward. You know, because right now, I mean, we're still waiting. It's going to be so key for Isaiah Simmons to develop, but he's he's not in there. Buda Baker is probably in it. But, uh, you know, outside of that, there's there's not much on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, you almost need to get some pieces still added. Now, if the Cardinals can get some healthy seasons out of the likes of Jordan Phillips, if they can maybe get Campbell back on a one-year deal, maybe some of these things, even Drake Kirkpatrick, could kind of patch up some of those holes where you're at least not losing a whole lot. If you're going to lose like multiple pieces and you're looking saying, gosh, like we haven't been able to bring anyone in outside of you know like maybe a, a Brian Poole or someone to play corner. We still need an, another corner. You may be just um, saying, hey, let's let's take the loss on some of the defensive side and build our identity on continuing to push this offense as one of the best in the league, supplementing what was a strong running game last year by you know maybe adding an offensive lineman, being able to invest at the wide receiver position potentially in in a place like the draft. The other spot that a lot of fans have had intrigued and we can get into is the tight end spot. A lot of people are looking at Kyle Pitts out of uh, Miami and wondering, is he kind of one of those mismatched weapons who, for starters, will he even be there at pick 16 for the Cardinals? Since it's not every day that, you know, a 6'6", 240-pound guy just catching touchdowns left and right against some pretty decent ACC competition. Do you think that this is – is Pitts a guy that, as far as Arizona's offense, is like – is this a guy who even fits with what we see from Cliff Kingsbury with how he uses, you know, multiple wide receiver sets? Are we talking about, you know, 
moving him into some of Dan Arnold's role. What is kind of the idea, at least behind this, that has people intrigued? And is Pitts a guy that you think the Cardinals should try to be able to acquire? Because I think that there's a lot of positives, but I've got honestly a few more questions about that with him as a tight end than I think some Cardinals fans have, and I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, and I think you've done a good job in pointing out the lack of success some teams have had in trying to identify those big playmaking tight ends. Sure, they've you know, T.J. Hawkinson comes out and he pops in his first game against the Cardinals, who historically probably had the worst. They they had to have had the worst season against tight ends in the history of the NFL. I'm just going to assume by saying that in 2019. But Hawkinson pops and no arguing. You know, there's Noah Fant <laughs> who had a couple games here and there, and you know, it's just you you haven't found a lot of guy. You know, like there was a Jeremy Shockey and. Uh, you know, you, you don't traditionally find like those big playmaking tight ends in the first round. They're just not there. It's just a, a position that you invest in. Absolutely. But, you know, it's a very hit and miss position. Like you don't find you just don't find Travis Kelsey. You don't find Zach Ertz, who's you know, I know he's had better seasons, but you don't find the the George Kittles like those guys develop and they become monsters uh, and, and a tribute to those guys and the, and the people that made sure they they learn. But Kyle Pitts intrigues me coming out of Florida. He's a guy that had 12 touchdowns. He, he's one of the main reasons that uh, their quarterback was even in the conversation. Uh, was it Kyle Trask for the Heisman Trophy? Yeah, Trask. Uh, it's he, like because you you kind of get what's what was successful in Kansas City. You've got your playmaker and DeAndre Hopkins who can play the role a different look role of of Tyree Kill because nobody has that type of speed. And then you've got the the playmaker over the middle as far as what your tight end and Travis Kelsey can do. So that intrigues me. I think it's time to invest in the position, though. It's just been far too long. You look at the last two Super Bowls, and sure, the Kansas City Chiefs have been there both both years. But it's this past year, it's Gronk, and it's and it's uh, it's Kelsey. Last year, it's Kittle, and it's Kelsey. The Eagles have been there. The Patriots were there with Gronk. You know, Ertz was there for Philly. It's a position that is it's tough, especially in January, for teams to game plan against. And the Cardinals, if you could, if there was one of those saddest debates of all time, it's who's their goat tight end in the franchise history? Is it like, is is it Freddie Jones from like the late '90s and early 2000s? Is it uh, a lot of people say Robert Walt, who was in on this team barely when they moved to Phoenix? It's the fact that those are guys that are still in the conversation just as an indictment that this team hasn't spent or invested in it. Like, who's the last guy they drafted? They took Troy Nicholas in the second round, surprisingly, and he just could never yeah. stay on the field. It's They need to invest in the position. I think, it, you know, whether it's in the draft, if Pitts falls to 16, perfect. If it's if they want to go and, and Ertz becomes available, uh, yeah, why not? I, I, I don't know. I, Gerald Everett, a guy who looks like his days with the Rams are done, I think it'd be a great fit instead of trying to rely on fantasy sleeper, you know, Dan Arnold, who now in back-to-back season has popped at the end of the year, but not enough to really impact the game. Yeah, I was going to say, um, always start Dan Arnold against the Rams is the biggest takeaway I think that we've had from the last yeah. two seasons with yeah. him. He went off for, what was it, two touchdowns against the Rams, like, what is it, twice now or something like ridiculous and it was targeted heavily. Hey, maybe that says something about their linebackers or ability to cover, but I think you're right in terms of the, the way the NFL has changed somewhat is you got these big receiving weapons, like the comparison I would at least say is less to a Gronk or a Kittle because those guys are 
just beast in the blocking game. More of like your Jimmy Graham type would be kind of the thing with Kyle Pitts. Like someone even said, hey, if you take the size and the speed, he could probably line up outside and be maybe not a deep threat like DK Metcalf, but he could probably be your X receiver in an offense. Maybe that's a spot where you get mismatches on him, can even line him up outside opposite Hopkins. I just question if the Cardinals are going to be a run first team, don't you want to try to have a guy who also can block or be someone like that Kyler can have? And maybe that's something that he can acquire, but it just really depends. And I think that took us back around to the idea of seeing how the best teams in the league are always the ones who seemingly have the best offensive lines. And that's something that seems to continue every single year. We saw it with the Eagles in their Super Bowl. We saw it with the Bucks in this last Super Bowl. There's been talk about the Cardinals if they should draft an offensive lineman in the first round. Maybe they should go in the free agency role. I think what we kind of came to the idea of was if you want to try to patch up a hole on the team immediately and get help there, you're going to probably get better long-term results with draft, but you're kind of in a prove-it-now mode where maybe the strategy should be, hey, like, you can get receiver help for a lot of that and go with a free agent offensive lineman. What was kind of, I think, the thing that we came to is there was one kind of move that I think almost all of us agreed with, and it was, can you add an offensive lineman, and then does one of these type of wide receivers fall to you in the draft? That'll be my question to you, Bo, is, all right, so... Let's say that the Cardinals, they improve in enough on the corner spot. They improve enough on the offensive line spot. They get maybe not a great number two wide receiver, but good enough. All doors are open. You now have the number one pick. You can't draft a quarterback, obviously. But what would be the spot that you would take? Like, let's say you you take Penny Sewell out of it. You'd say you take the quarterback out of it. You get to pick any of these different players in the 2021 NFL draft. Who are you taking? Man, I mean, it's – and we're looking at the wide receiver position mostly for for the Cardinals? Well, I mean, you can look at wide receiver. You could say, hey, if there's a defensive lineman maybe that you think is like that's the guy, it's going to be – you take anyone. It could even be the likes of Kyle Pitts saying this guy is just a freak mismatch. Who's the guy that you would say that you would take if you're the Cardinals? I mean, if I'm, if I'm the Arizona Cardinals and I'm looking at, uh, you know, rebuilding that secondary, I think that's a good spot to do it as long as it's not the third best prospect at that position. I think when you're looking mm-hmm. at the top two, guys there's always going to be the debate should you take one or two there was there was even a debate one time about Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning at the quarterback position it's it's crazy uh because you know some of them are just a lot of people who are mock drafters they don't know they just don't know how it's really going to pan out so mm-hmm. the difference between Caleb Farley and uh Patrick Sertain Jr it, you know who who is going to be the best player of that position so I don't have a problem with them taking the second best guy there uh, but it is intriguing when you talk about strengths and you talk about you know where you're going to make your money. The Arizona Cardinals wanted 2020 to be the season that their offense was their calling card. That fell short. You have an opportunity to right that wrong. You can do that in this draft, and you can you can and we've seen so much success you know with teams drafting wide receivers early on and then making immediate impacts. Most recently with Justin Jefferson in, in Minnesota, uh, I think that a guy like Jaden Waddle or, you know, Jamar Chase or whoever falls. I'm a little skeptical about the Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, just because of his build. But I think that, yeah, why not take a wide receiver at that spot? Jalen Waddell's a guy that could definitely be this year's C.D. Lamb where he slips to that spot. He's shown that he's a, he's, a, he's a warrior. He'll play hurt. He got out there in the championship game probably when he shouldn't have. And, and you got to respect that. He's coming from a program where, you know, he wasn't, 
I'm sure at no point was Waddle their number one receiver. You know, he was early on, but then got hurt, and Devontae Smith took over and probably can attribute his Heisman to Waddle. Uh, and then the previous year they had Ruggs and they had uh, and they had Jerry Judy. So he knows mm-hmm. how to play in an offense with a with a star in it. And uh, I, I think that that would immediately change. You know, like we were talking about, maybe a bona fide proven commodity at the wide receiver position. I think that's your proven commodity, even coming from the college ranks for the Arizona Cardinals. So I would probably go with Waddell. I think that that's it's interesting, but you know. I, I would love him, you know, if it's Pitts, if it's Waddle, if it's Jamar Chase, if it's if it's whoever, I I think that the Cardinals would, mm-hmm. would be doing themselves a great service by adding a playmaker of those guys' caliber. Yeah, and that's something we see a lot, I think, that you mentioned is that's probably one of the more realistic picks that also could fall to Arizona. Like, you and I probably would take a guy like Caleb Farley there because of the ball skills, the coverage. It's, it's hard to find guys like that, and the Cardinals obviously have a need, but those are guys that go usually as we saw even last year a guy went in the top three who had one year starting (laughs) and Farley at least has two solid years at least on tape of being able to be that guy I pick Waddle as well and a lot of that I think is with the identity of what the Cardinals have in a guy like Kyler Murray it's all about being able to have this quick and explosive playmaker who's got a quick and explosive arm and is super accurate deep that's one of the things that i think is his trademark and his calling we still haven't seen the cardinals truly been able to see him with a deep threat like he had at the uh the college level with the likes of hollywood brown i like smith and i'll kind of more take the chance on the size just because of how absolutely impressive he was against no matter what corner or team he played but for me waddle is the guy and i could you know i could go back into the tweets or the text message i sent to john but all the way back even in like september october i'm like all right this is the guy i want them to draft doubt he's going to get to wherever they're picking and sure enough the cardinals end up out of the playoffs and now there's you know i'm not saying that it is going to happen he may be you know the first guy who goes given how we see guys love speed with henry ruggs being surprisingly the first receiver taken last year over Judy and over Lamb, so you never know in that regard, but I think that he would fill a hole for the Cardinals that they've had on offense and give Kyler another weapon that not only you can see results right away with that speed, but even long-term forcing teams to have to adjust to cover the deep threat that Hopkins and he can provide, open some stuff up in the intermediate while having to manage how you're going to play Kyler Murray, who can just take off for 20 yards on a whim. Uh, Let's go ahead kind of and be able to get to the last kind of two things. One thing we haven't talked about, at least, um, before we get to our last question, is the special teams. Do we have confidence in their older punter, Andy Leon, coming back? And what about with Zane Gonzalez? Is this going to be a downstretch, or has confidence been lost where the Cardinals may have to look at drafting or finding a way to acquire a solid veteran kicker who can win them games? What are some of your thoughts, at least, on the special teams before we get to kind of the last question of the day? Yeah, I think that the special teams are a well-coached unit. We saw them add to that coaching group on Friday. They took away from some of the outcasts in Detroit and I've just always liked uh, what what they're doing. Jeff Rogers is, is was one, one of the only takeaways from 2018 that was solid, uh, and he was a holdover for from Wilkes to to Kingsbury. And love what Jeff Rogers does on special teams. Uh, but we saw how it, crucial it is to make kicks down the stretch uh, and, and that the Cardinals couldn't rely sure. on Zane, Zane Gonzalez to make. And it's time to move off of Zane. Once you made that move and really went with Manujit the rest of the season. 
I think that was probably the final nail in, in the coffin as far as his Cardinals career is concerned. And, you know, somebody who followed Arizona State uh, and saw how consistent, how Zane Gonzalez really held down that job and, and was a consistent force for the Sun Devils, he just wasn't that for the Cardinals. Right. It, 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 but it's also an inexact science. It's It really is. I mean, it's like relievers in baseball. One guy could have a great season one year, and then the next year he's his ERA is – you know, above five. It's it's just one of those things where guys just lose it. They have a bad stretch, and it costs teams games. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals are in the playoffs if Zane Gonzalez hits a kick against the New England Patriots. You know, it's it's that simple. Um, they could have lost the sure. game to Seattle. It's it, it was just it was. I know it's under a microscope, but he missed some crucial kicks for this team. Can you go out and find that guy? Uh, I'd love to see him, you know, give a young guy an opportunity, but it's just the stakes are so high, and the stakes are, are especially, especially high this offseason for the Cardinals and into the regular season that I don't know if you go out. You know, there's Dicker from Texas who's got some kind mm-hmm. of fanfare behind him. People just like to say Michael Dicker, the kicker. Uh, you know, it's if you yeah. want it, if you want to, sure, but you better be ready to pivot and sign a veteran as soon as things go south. So. I, I don't have a problem. Andy Lee, I mean, we remember. I remember growing up, you know, punters, they had the old guys with the low, you know, face mask, little single bar face mask. It's not something – I, I trust Andy Lee right. can come back and do it as long as his price tag's not too high. I'm just not – I'm not too concerned about the special teams. I think it's something that Rodgers has dialed in. And as far as making kicks – that's all it comes down to, and there's nothing the Cardinals can do. They they can put themselves on paper in the best situation. It's going to come down to execution come the regular season. Sure. Like you said, kicking is something that's hard. I, too, expect that they will, even if they don't uh, move on from Zane Gonzalez, at least bring in some prime veteran competition for him. Uh, let's come on to our last question of the day, and uh, this is just kind of a fun one. Normally, I know you and Bo give each other, just kind of rib each other back and forth on the podcast, some of the other areas or put downs with that one. John and I, I think you and me are more of the people who are like a bit more reasonable with the takes, a little bit maybe more of the nice guy, if you had to kind of call it like. We're going to be in a movie and play good cop, bad cop. I mean, you and I would be more of the good cops than Johnny and Alex would probably be the bad cops. So the question I have is, if you could embrace your inner bad cop and say something at least about like (laughs) Alex that maybe you, you wouldn't be tempted to is to save on your same podcast yeah what would you have that you could be able to at least uh be able to say maybe a little bit kind of a check to the gut to to alex oh yeah yeah to alex or even to me for all of that too like i've had someone who said i had to take on blake murphy seven because that was my power ranking of blake murphy's that were on twitter not anywhere in the top three good one good one just (laughs) roasting you there uh yeah the thing that Alex and I, I think, complement each other pretty well, where he's just got these knee jerk, asinine, ill thought out takes, you know, and a lot of people <laughs> call them hot takes. And then I've got a logical, you know, take on it and, and you know, researched and well thought out, you know. So it, it's just good to have somebody who organically has kind of a contrarian take on, on what yours is and it, it just embraces the debate. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, as far Ooh, as... Look at, look at that. Just nothing but good cop coming out. Alex, <laughs> you have been blessed with an incredible co-host, at least for that one. So, yeah, I, just... uh, I was going to say, on, <laughs> on my end for that one, I'll take a, I took a shot at myself that someone had given. The other thing I remember is I still sometimes see John, his new Twitter account. It used to be Johnny's Football. Yeah, what now happened I see to it Sometimes it looks... Yeah, uh, he that was part of what happened with Kyler Murray. He lost the bet, at least for that one, said he was going to delete his Twitter account, decided better of it, but still changed the at. Oh. So every time I see his last name, though, sometimes I think Johnny Vulnerable at least sometimes <laughs> is what I'll think in my head. Uh, I know that's been some of the funny kind of, we'll, we'll kind of rib each other a little bit back and forth with stuff too. I know um, I sent out a tweet with, if I had a nickel for like every time that Johnny said, I need this, like I need air, right. we'd probably have like, you know, about 45 <laughs> bucks or so at least just from a lot of those. So it's good, I think, to be able to have some of the difference. It's good to be able to have you on to the podcast as well, Bo. Uh, give yourself a shout out for where uh, listeners can find you as well as the Locked On Pod that we're crossing over with this week absolutely no it's always a pleasure to catch up with you guys and uh talk to a different cardinals audience with the revenge of the birds and um at bob rack easiest way to find me b-o-b-r-a-c-k find me bo brock and then of course at locked on az cards on twitter and uh yeah we appreciate anybody who tunes in to either you know revenge of the birds or us and we're just trying to help you know build this cardinals community because it's just such a fun thing it still kind of feels like it's ground level stuff and we're just scratching the surface and it's exciting time. This is going to be, you know, good or bad. You know, whatever happens this offseason, it's going to be entertaining and fun to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining so much, Bo. Uh, again, you can follow us at ROTV Pod on Twitter as well as at RevengeOfTheBirds.com. And don't forget to follow our Twitter account at ROTV Pod for any and all updates as well as some of the highlights from John and I throughout the week. Uh, thanks again so much for tuning in. Go Cards. And as we enter this offseason, Here's hoping for a better year than how they ended in 2021.